You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you. You know, this time of year, it's always good to get back to basics, so to speak. If you remember last year, uh, our worship series was called Jesus of Nazareth, and we looked at the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Not what Paul said about Jesus or, or what this person said about but who is Jesus? We looked at the Gospel stories themselves. And the year before that, we, we looked at Methodism, right? Why are we Methodist? Why, why do we promise to serve Christ through the United Methodist Church? What does it mean to be people of pervenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace? This is another attempt of that, uh, of, of this new year, new me, so to speak, right? It's, it's getting back to the basis. This time, the basics of Christianity. Do we practice what we actually believe about our connection with God, our connection with Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit? So our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Romans, the fifth chapter. It's funny that that Susan mentioned this. I totally changed the text this morning around about 4.15 a.m., you know, so and I always hope that, you know, the staff loves when I I show up and say, hey guys, I'm preaching on something totally different than I was going to. So we all, you know, oh great, now none of the songs make sense, right? But that's not the case because the Holy Spirit is alive even in my own procrastination. So we're going with Romans today, chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. It'll be on the screens, it'll be online, and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification for all. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As you know, Christy and I have four beautiful children, four blessings that we've been given. Uh, uh, but it, sometimes it didn't always feel that way. You know, when, when, when a child is born and you show, like, birth announcements or you put on Facebook, that people always say, like, oh, what a blessing. What a blessing. And they're right. They're, and I know not everyone's story is the same, but we have four little blessings, though it didn't always feel that way. You know, Isabel, when she was younger, uh, she just did not sleep, right? Uh, she was born June 12th, and the first time that she slept more than about three and a half hours was on Christmas Eve. So six months after she, we called it the Christmas miracle. Six months after she was born is when she slept, I say through the night. It's not through the night. It was like three hours and 45 minutes, right? We would put her in the car uh, in, in the minivan, because uh, I'm, you know, four kids in a minivan, living the dream. Uh, put her in the car in the back of the, and we would drive up and down Uri Drive at 3 a.m., trying to get this child to go to sleep. 
Now, we had read like a life hack on the Google and, and, and someone said like, just put her in the car seat and start the dryer. Put her on the dryer because the dryer will mimic the sound of the car and the rhythm of the car. So we did that, we put her in the car seat on the dryer, turned the dryer on and she looked at us like we were idiots. So we have these moments like this. Christy's grandmother, we call her Gran, her real name is Marianne. Uh, she always, she sings, blessings, blessings. She just sings it kind of under her breath in a very good grandmother kind of a way to remind you, blessings, bless, like she's Frank Sinatra or something. Blessings, bless, but it's true. Like our, they're, they're blessings, right? They're blessings from God. I have not, or in other words, I have not yet met someone who saw a baby picture of yours and said, my. What a wretched, totally depraved mistake of God, right? And we laugh at that, but, 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 so much of the way we practice Christianity is based in that being true, that our relationship with God begins with sin, that the minute we're born is the minute we need to be fixed. And looking at a newborn child, I'm just not there. How might our relationship with God change if we look at our relationship with God as an original blessing? Being blessed by God. Where God made you on purpose. And that God loves you. When we assume that we are here on purpose, our relationship with God through Christ is not about escaping what God might do to us if we don't accept God or if we don't follow Jesus. We, 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 the goal is to fall in love, an agape love, a, a, a righteousness, a kind of love in which uh, uh, we love what God is calling us into. We love what Jesus is calling us into. We don't do the work of the church simply to escape something. We do it because we have fallen in love with it, because we are an original blessing from God. You could look at it this way. Uh, when my dad was 39 years old, my father had a, a massive widowmaker heart attack. Now, he is fine. He survived it. He wasn't supposed to, but he did. Uh, and I remember him coming home from work on a Wednesday in, in, the, in the driveway of our home, clutching his chest, right, and getting him to the hospital. And that did two things to me. One, you know, to see Superman being kept alive by machines, it kind of does something to you, right? Uh, that's when I started paying attention in church because life was fleeting and precious. And my dad said, son, if there had been any other way to get you to pay attention in church, <laughs> I would have done it, right? But the second is it, it instilled in me, because everybody has a thing, right? I know, that no, I know that all of you are perfect. No need to open your closets, but here's open my... Seeing my dad, because I, I saw it happen, you know, anytime I get any kind of malady, like, oh my gosh, there's a spot on my arm. Well, that's it. I'm done. Call it in. I got to lose the arm. Done. Like, I went to the dermatologist because Christy said I had old man head. So I went to get it checked out. And I was like, what is this? And she goes, it's a freckle. You know, are you sure, though? Right? Because that's where I, because I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. You know, something little turned into a big life-changing event. So I'm like a bit of a germaphobe with, with every thing. So, so, and, and raw men in our family, raw men just don't have that much of a shelf life, right? We, we tend to check out early. I did my 23 in me. I don't know if I told you all about that. I did my 23, you know, the whole gen genetic thing. I don't know if you knew this, 
but I have a genetic predisposition to becoming an elite athlete. Thank you for your laughs. But here's the catch, it doesn't tell you at which sport. I might be the best darts player you have ever seen, and I just haven't discovered it, right? You know. So, so when I turn 38, when I turn 38, knowing that knock, knock, knocking on 40's door, right? So when I turned 38, and I knew that this was looming, my dad had a massive heart attack at 39, I went straight up vegan for an entire year. Not vegetarian. No, we don't do vegetarian. That, that bar is low. We went vegan. The whole nine, man. I was working out. I was doing cardio, eating beef, this whole kind of thing. And I went, I went to the cardiologist two weeks after turning 39, and I was sweating. I was ready, ready for him to give me the bad news. And they, I mean, they did all kind of stuff. They gave me like a radioactive banana to eat. They did all kind of stuff, like to check everything. And, and the doctor said, well, well, we'll see you back in 10 years. Everything looks good. I'm going to give you one guess at what I ate for lunch that day. It's the bloodiest steak in Treeport, right? Oh my gosh, rare looking at me. I wanted my steak to look at me. Well, let's cut it out. But that's the thing, like, I wasn't working out, I wasn't eating vegan, I wasn't trying to be healthier for the sake of being healthy, or I wasn't falling in love with working out, I still don't love it. I, I wasn't falling in love with working out, I wasn't falling in love with even for my own mental health of, of feeling better, I was doing it to escape something terrible. So the minute the doctor said I didn't have to do it anymore, there goes that discipline. I let go of the things that actually made me feel better because I felt like I didn't have to do them anymore. I had escaped something terrible. Why do we do this to ourselves when we think about our faith? That we follow Jesus simply to escape something terrible. Because if I'm not with Jesus, Jesus, then something terrible is going to happen. But then, Ben, preacher gets up and says, you know, Paul, Paul says, therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. You know, I looked up the word all in Greek, and do you know what it means? It means all. You can't slice it any other way. So when the preacher says, yeah, Jesus came for all, for the salvation of all, oh, well then, Maybe I don't need to pray as much. Maybe I don't need to go to church as much. We start to throw away the very things that keep us in connection with, with God and what we're doing. You know, if you're working out just to escape something terrible, if you're doing these things just to escape something terrible, what you're actually doing by doing these things is constructing your own hell. That's what you're doing. You're creating boundaries around yourself for no other purpose than to escape something terrible. How anxious you must be if that is how you're living your life. Jesus wants you to fall in love with the gospel, not treat the gospel as a means to an end so that you get in at the end of it all. Imagine, imagine uh, that creation was on purpose you know, that's one of the things that separates Christianity from other world religions is that, is that creation was, was on purpose. God created everything and then looked at it, and what did God say? God said, this is good. Even at the end of it, he goes, this is really good, which is like the understatement of the millennium, right? The eon, right? This is, 
God didn't say extravagant or magnificent. God said, this is really good. That, how often do we approach our faith as if Scripture starts with Genesis chapter 3, that, Genesis, that, 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 that the story begins with the fall and begins with dis- disobedience? Just back up a chapter, and you will hear God looking at you as a purposeful creation of God and saying, you are good. Let that be our default setting is our own blessedness and our own giftedness in God. The book, um, Original Blessing, says it this way. The Word of God, because God created through words, right? The Word of God is active, imaginative, and playful. What great words. Creation is as ongoing as we are, as vast as our experience of it. It is in us, and we in it. It is us, and also far beyond us. This is a good sentence, so. Humanity constitutes a uniquely sacramental receptacle for God's holy word. Holy smokes, I'm going to read that again. Humanity constitutes a uniquely sacramental receptacle for God's holy word. You are a vehicle through which people can experience God. That's what that means. You have the potential to be a vehicle through which people experience God. You know, my dad, um, uh, I remember walking with him on the beach. We go to Pensacola all the time. It's kind of like we have a family condo there, and I remember walking on the beach with my dad. My dad uh, is a chemist and also a believer, right? He sang in the choir every day, sat next to my, a little Norman Rockwell, like he sat next to my mom in the choir on Sunday mornings. And, oh, and, and, and dad never, we thought we were clever as kids. We sat in the balcony because uh, mom and dad were in the choir loft, so we sat in the balcony right in front of the big stained glass window so that we were in silhouette the whole time so mom couldn't see what we were doing. Uh, how foolish. Because <laughs> every now and again, we would look up at the choir loft and mama's seat is empty. Yes, right? Yeah, you know what's coming up. And then you hear the footsteps coming up the balcony steps, right? Oh, we thought we were clever, man. We were smart. We were so little blessings, blessings. So my dad, the chemist, who's also a believer, sang in the choir. You know, I asked him, I said, Dad, what am I supposed to believe, like creation, evolution? Like, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to think and believe? You're a scientist. Tell me, tell me your opinion. He goes, son, on the tip of your finger, there are a billion carbon atoms. And carbon comes from the death of stars billions of light years away. You are very intentionally made. The God who hung the stars had to shake them in order for you to be. The God who hung the stars had to shake them in order for you to be. What a beautiful answer to that question. Because the elements, the heavy elements in our body come from stars. Stars are furnaces for carbon, right? And oxygen and iron. And those elements that we find in our own body come from stars blowing up and seeding the... In other words, according to science, and this is great, according to science, we are the universe learning about itself. Oh, how fantastic is that? Thinking about it theologically, 
if I am made in the image of God and you are made in the image of God and you are made in the image of God, when we get together, it is God having a conversation with God's self. God created through word. So when all of these little words of God get together, and when we commune with one another, when we listen to one another, when we serve one another, it is God having a holy conversation with himself. You are such a blessing. You are such a vehicle, a sacramental vehicle of God's holy word. Though sometimes blessing is hard to swallow, isn't it? Grace is hard to swallow. For example, uh, I heard a story recently of, uh, in a rural setting, uh, there was a Methodist church, it was in the South, a Methodist church, a Baptist church, and then other churches, because that's how we live in the South. There's a Methodist church, there's a Baptist church, and then other. Right? Those, are the, those are the flavors, right? Uh, and there were some shenanigans at the Baptist church, and one of their Sunday school classes was kicked out, and they could not meet there anymore. So the Methodists were like, hey, come on in. The water's fine. We have room. We, we promise not to sacrifice chickens when you get here. I'm kidding. They didn't do that. But they were saying, like, hey, we're, we're, not, we're not interested in you, like, joining the church. We are simply interested in offering you space to be who you are. And, and the Baptist church said no, because the Methodists were just too welcoming of other people. I'm just going to let the irony of that sink in for a moment. Uh, and the class could not find another place to meet, and they disbanded. They would rather disband than be associated with a congregation that's too welcoming. Lord Moses. I mean, see, grace is the greatest gift when it's offered to you, and it's the toughest pill in all of Christendom to swallow if it's given to someone you don't think deserves it. There's a really cool story from Scripture. A man had two sons, right? And, and, and before the pair, don't, you got to read the whole thing. Got to read the whole thing because the, it's the older brother who was really mad and angry that the younger brother was welcomed home. Oh, grace is great when it's given to you, baby. Real hard to swallow when it's given to someone you don't think deserves it. And that's just God being God. Grace, sin. What do we do about this? Last week we talked about Jesus' baptism. It was baptism of the Lord Sunday, right? And we talked about hearing the voice of God. You are God's child with whom God is well pleased. Right? And we, we, we talk about baptism cleansing us of sin. And yes, of course, baptism cleanses of, us of sin. But if that is the only reason to jump into the water, if that is the only reason we come forward to be baptized, if, bat if baptism is only about erasing sin from us, then we have to jump through some pretty impressive hoops to explain why Jesus was baptized by John. Baptism is more than just getting clean. It is about an initiation. It is about starting in ministry. It's about being connected with God. It's about hearing that voice from heaven saying, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. Go and learn how to love one another. Treating baptism as if it is our first breath. I had a seminary friend uh, where at their church they did immersion. And I'm not advising that you do this, uh, but his parishioners, when they came forward to be baptized, he held them under just a beat longer than they thought they should be. <laughs> so then when they came up, it was, <gasps> he's like, amen. It's like your first breath, right? 
do, uh, as a, since this is on the internet, disclaimer, please don't do that to another human being. Don't hold them under longer than they think. I don't just, it worked for him. I was still on the same. We talk about baptism, of, of, of being connected with, with Jesus. And sometimes we talk about, and no one, no one really looks at, I'm joking at the beginning of the, of the sermon when I say that someone might look at a child and say, oh, what a wretched, you know, sinful creation of God. No one really says that. Now, they might say something like, well, God will cover them until like the age of reason when they can discern for themselves kind of a thing, which is round about like 10 or 11 or 12. Friends, do you remember when you were 10 years old? Oh, boy, do I. I used to play baseball. May I remind you that I have the genetic predisposition of becoming an, an elite athlete. Um, so I played football and baseball all through high school. Uh, and I loved baseball. I was particularly good at baseball. I played first base growing up. And I loved it because you don't have to think. The ball is hit. You take a step to the left and catch whatever's coming at you. Right? Step to the left and catch whatever's coming. There's a sermon in there somewhere, right? Just step to the left and catch whatever's coming at you. I loved it. You didn't have to think. And, and frankly, you don't have to be all that athletic to play first base. You just kind of have to stand there, right? It's, it's great. But when I was 10, when I, I was about 8 when I first started playing baseball. For the first two, three years of playing baseball, at the age of reason, I was in right field with my glove over my face pretending to be Darth Vader. That was the extent of my athletic prowess at the age of reason. Thank God my eternity did not depend on my 10-year-old self. I'm 43, and I'm still not sure I know enough about God to make that kind of decision. The one who created everything seen and unseen, which is why I am thankful for grace. You know, when you come to be baptized in the United Methodist Church, we ask you three questions. Uh, I'll talk about the last one. Uh, but the, 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 the question at the end of the, of the baptismal service is, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put your whole trust in his grace? That is what we ask you. Do you confess Jesus Christ with your, uh, as your Lord and Savior and put your whole trust in his law? No. Put your whole trust in your ability to be obedient? No. Do you trust in Jesus' grace in your life? Do you believe that you are a child of God? Do you believe that you are a blessing by God? Do you believe that the work of Jesus on the cross is more powerful than human disobedience? And if you do, then stop living as if you think Adam's disobedience at the beginning of time is more powerful than Jesus on the cross. What might happen if we actually believe that Paul is right? When Paul says, therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Apparently the computer's done. This is my signal that the sermon has gone long. The, the computer has now gone to screensaver mode. It's, it's a, we got, the computer's done. I love it. It's so good. But, but, so before we think this is all like puppy dogs and butterflies and there's like nothing for us to do, um, um, when, I was in, when I was in seminary, um, we led a student prayer service uh, at, at, at the Goodson Chapel at, at Duke Divinity School. And I took the bus from the East Campus to the West Campus. And getting in the bus from the East Campus to the West Campus, you couldn't Crisco yourself up enough to get in that bus. It was just overflowing with people, right? 
But everyone had the, and they're doing the, playing wordly, you know, whatever, wordle, whatever it's called. You know, everybody's just kind of doing this, you know. So we get to the prayer service, uh, and, and we heard prayer concerns as people were coming forward. You want to guess what the number one concern was of the students? It wasn't money. It wasn't grades. It wasn't sex. It wasn't relationships. The number one concern that we heard is, I am desperately lonely. I'm lonely. How can you be lonely in an overcrowded bus? Right? Now, I'm a big fan of augmented age stuff. You hear me talk about it all the time. When I say augmented age, I don't mean augmented reality. I mean the age in which we find ourselves, the way that we are relating to one another. One definition of sin is the interned soul. If you want to win Jeopardy, if you want to win Wordle one day, it's curvatus is the word, curvatus, the soul that is inwardly turned. Right? Michelle, you know this. You do yoga. If you spend your life doing this, you will miss everything around you. You will not be open. You will not be able to hear. You will not be able to see what is happening around you. How can you be lonely in an overcrowded bus is because you're so inwardly turned, whether, whether that's through anxiety or, 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 or maybe fear, or maybe you're like me and you see a freckle and you think you're going to lose your head. You're just so wrapped up in how, what a... Or, or, we can be open, we can understand our own blessedness, we can look our neighbor in the eye and recognize that they too are made in the image of God. Because when we're inwardly turned, we cannot see our neighbor as we should, we do not hear our neighbor as we should, and we sure as hell don't love him the way that we should. It's like uh, the Who's Tommy. Do you know Tommy? You know the Who? Uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it was one of the first rock operas, and there's this great song, and it. it's called Christmas. And Tommy is deaf, dumb, and blind. He can't hear, he can't speak, uh, and he can't, say, uh, can't hear, see, or say anything. And the song goes, uh, look at the children, they're so excited on Christmas morning. They wake up before the sun is awake, but, but Tommy doesn't know what day it is. He doesn't know who Jesus was or what praying is. How can he be saved from the eternal grave? And you do that. Tommy, can you hear me? Can you feel me near you? The point isn't for Tommy to be able to see and hear and say. The point is for us to hear him and to see him and to attend to his needs. It's like Several years ago at Broadmoor, I was talking about, I had this really great sermon of do this in remembrance of me. We were talking about communion, breaking the bread, do this in remembrance. We have to remember Jesus. If we're not remembering Jesus, we're not in communion with Jesus. And then I saw Phyllis in the congregation. Phyllis's husband, Don, at the time was dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's. And I'm talking about, we've got to remember Jesus, got to remember Jesus, got to be disciplined, got to be doing. You mean to tell me because Don is slipping into dementia that somehow He's not in communion with God? No, because the thief on the cross was right. Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. Our salvation doesn't depend on our memory of 
Jesus, it depends on Jesus' memory of us. Because it's all about grace. It really is. You're a blessing. And it is all about God's grace. You can't earn it. Jesus died on the cross and was raised for it, for you. You are a blessing. That's why, not to bring up the Who's Tommy again, but Tommy in the musical keeps saying under his breath, See me. Feel me. Touch me. Heal me. See me. Do you, do you, do you see your neighbor? Do you hear their concern? Are you loving them well? Because when we do that, when we open up, and we're not like this, when we open up to one another, these other words of God created on purpose here in our life, when we do that, we start to chip away at sin so that God's grace may abound. Sin likes to be in charge. Sin likes to be so in charge that it has lied to you and it has told you that our relationship with God begins with it. Oh, you're destined for hell unless somebody intervenes. That's what sin wants you to believe. And I invite you to laugh at that and live into the original blessing that you are. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.